Sometimes, even what feels like a small mistake carries with it disastrous consequences. Like it can feel so small, it's not a big deal, who really, who really cares? It can feel so inconsequential and yet be absolutely disastrous. Uh, one of my favorite books is Into the Wild by John Krakauer. I love this book. Um, it tells the tragic story of Chris McCandless who kind of runs off to Alaska and ends up dying there. It's pretty bleak. It's great. Um, the story's great, not the book. Yeah, okay. Um, and in it, though, okay, so it's mostly about this guy, Chris, but he tells this other story just for a couple of pages about this guy named Carl McCunn. And Carl, similar to Chris, planned and wanted so badly to go off into the wilderness of Alaska. He planned and saved. He had everything figured out, worked out, all of this for quite some time. And picture it someplace like this. Um, and planned to spend the entire summer camping in a tent there by himself, 75 miles from anybody. And so he'd done all of his work, his research. He, he had flown in 1,400 pounds of provisions. Like this guy was set, right? He was, he was ready to go. And then was going to just, you know, camp there for that time. A bush pilot dropped him off and there he was. It's perfect, right? Some of you are like, why would anybody ever do that? I'm like, I want to I go there. I, like that's, that's me. Uh, others of you think it's crazy. But he did that. But he, he had everything planned out, but he made one tiny mistake. We make tiny mistakes, right? You and I all the time. I mean, one, one mistake that in any other situation, it would have been nothing, no big deal, easy to remedy, but, but not in the wilderness. Carl forgot to schedule his flight home. Like the bush pilots come back and pick him up and seriously. And he, like, even when he realized it, it was like, eh, it's probably gonna be okay. In fact, he, he wrote, listen to what he wrote in his diary when he, when he discovered that he hadn't uh, arranged it. He, he said, I think I should have used more foresight about arranging my departure. I'll soon find out. Just sort of slipped his mind. And it was just a small mistake. Like in, in his mind, he was convinced. I mean, somebody, the pilot will remember me. He'll come back. You know, somebody, somebody will discover me. Somebody will rescue me. At one point even, as things got a little bit more desperate, uh, a, a plane did fly overhead and saw him. And so he thought for sure he was saved. He ran out and he, he went like this, okay? Like, you know, victory. Finally, I'm saved. The pilot definitely saw him, circled back around a couple times, but never stopped. A couple days later, Carl pulled out his hunting license on the back of it. It said that the universal sign for all clear, everything's fine, I'm okay, is this. But things were not okay. And yet he waited. Because it's not a big deal. I'll be fine. It's just a small mistake. So he waited and waited and waited. He could have hiked the 75 miles back to civilization, but he was convinced somebody was going to rescue him. And so he waited. And then it got cold. And then he ran out of food. And by that point, he was too weak to do anything about it. And if you're looking for a happy ending here, man versus wild, wild wins, people. His body was found several months later. All because of a tiny, massive mistake. 
Great story, right? These are the kind of books I read for fun. This is like a vacation read for me. Um, I know, I have problems. But what if, I, what if I told you that there was a church in the first century in the southern region of Galatia that was about to do the same thing? I mean, not church camp gone horribly wrong. Uh, not exactly the same thing, but a small mistake that could cost them everything. I mean, they... At this church, they love Jesus, but they've begun to believe that Jesus isn't quite enough. I mean, Jesus is great and all. We love, me, we love us some Jesus, right? But what you really need to live the good life, what you really need to be whole is Jesus and blank. And when we add to Jesus... When, when you say that, that the good life for me or, or, or the way to be a, a Christian, like it's Jesus and I've got to follow the rules, it's Jesus and I've got to vote a certain way or have the, the certain kind of family or, or pursue the American dream or, or whatever it is, Jesus and you know, follow my own plan for my life. Jesus and anything, whatever it is, the moment you add to him, you might lose him altogether. You can't add to the gospel. And because this is so subtle and so serious, we're taking a bit of a rabbit trail to study this little tiny letter to that church, the book of Galatians. It's in the New Testament. We've we've been in Acts, right, for for quite some time. And we're going to go back there. We're just taking a little break. We'll go back to Acts later this summer. Uh, But we've we've just gotten in Acts last week to to Paul's conversion, right? Paul, who hated Christians, he met Jesus and, and ends up writing like a third of the New Testament, And we want to press more into his story by looking at one of his earliest letters. And also in Acts, if you've been with us, we've been talking about this strange phenomenon that's happening, that this this message of Jesus, this gospel, as it goes forth from a mostly Jewish context, it's beginning to include Gentiles as well. Something absolutely unthinkable in the first century, that the church now, the early church, has both. How did that happen? And what is this gospel that makes it possible? Well, Galatians shows us, for if we make even a tiny mistake here, it could be absolutely disastrous. And so we've we've called this eight-week excursus into Galatians no other, because there is no other gospel, no other good news, not like this, no other Savior but Jesus, and you just can't add to him. Well, as we look at their story, this morning, as we begin this study, we're going we're gonna to see four things right off the bat of what happens when we make the small mistake of adding to Jesus. And so I want to I read part of our scripture for us. Why don't we stand together, stretch your legs. Um, we're going to look at chapter one through early on into chapter two, but I'm just going to read the first nine verses, how Paul starts off this letter. Here's what he says to this small and struggling church. Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. And all the brothers and sisters who are with me, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins to deliver us 
from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even, listen to what Paul says, but even if an angel, if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed, eternally condemned. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be damned. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Whew. Let's pray. We need God's help. We don't want to make the same mistake. Let me pray. Father, even as I read those words, I feel, I feel the weight of this message and what hangs in the balance if we get it wrong. God, I pray that you would show us through your word, through the Apostle Paul, through your Holy Spirit, alive and at work within us, who you are and what your message to us is. And that upon seeing it again for many of us or for the very first time for some of us, God, I pray that we would give ourselves wholly to it and ultimately to you. God, capture us with the bigness of what you've done for us. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Okay, so if you didn't notice, Paul's mad, right? Like he is super mad. And here, here's why. Here's the first reason why that we see this morning. It's that if you add to the gospel, you exchange good news for bad advice. Good news, not, not just good, the best news. You take it, you push it aside, and instead you say, you know what, I'm gonna take that bad, bad advice instead. So let me, let me kind of explain what's going on here in the, the church in, in Galatia. Because the church there, just like any church ought to be, doesn't matter, doesn't matter who, who you are, where you're from, but every church is built or should be built on a very simple message. Paul summarized it for us in verse three. Did you, did you see that? He said, the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us. I mean, that's, that's a quick little summary there of the gospel, even as Paul writes this letter. If you want a, maybe a little bit bigger definition, if you want to, what, what do we mean by, by gospel? Well, well here, this is, this is essentially it. The gospel is the good news. Gospel just means good news, if you didn't know that in the language. Gospel is the good news of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, which if you trust him above all others, saves you from sin and gives you new life. Okay? It's simple enough, right? How can you mess that up? Okay, so think, think back in this church. Now, 15 years roughly has passed for the Apostle Paul since last week's sermon. Okay, last week Paul became a Christian, right? And 15 years has gone, has gone by. And think, think back, right? Paul, who hated Jesus, hated Christians, right? Was seeking to destroy them. He, he met Jesus on, on this walk, right? On the Damascus Road. Point on, he spends the rest of his life planting churches all throughout the known world. Somewhere between 15 and 20 churches that he planted. He just traveled, preaching the gospel everywhere. You can see all over, this was the known world at the time. You can see where, where Galatia is up, up there, kind of in the corner. That's kind of where it's centered. And so about a year before this letter was written, Paul was there. Like, he, he knows these people. 
He sat down with them, explained to them who Jesus is and what his death means and what his, what his resurrection means. He was there. He started that church. These are, these are friends of his. He was just there. You can read about it in, Goy, in, in Acts chapter 13 and 14. And Paul had made it so clear when he was there that the good news is a gift to be received. It's news to be trusted. Not advice to be followed, not rules to be obeyed. But Paul, I mean, I, I picture him somehow, word has gotten back to him that that church, those people that he knew, that he loved, that he spent time with, that somehow there's a new gospel cropping up, which he says is no gospel at all. And so what, what is that message that's being communicated there. What's the change? What are they adding to Jesus? Well, it was, uh, it was super fun at dinner this week, trying to explain it to, to my kids. We're sitting there, uh, David and Eden there, uh, nine and 10. I, you know, it was Monday, I'd been studying the text, right? That's what I do, we're talking about my day at work and just kind of explain what's going on and we're switching from Acts to Galatians, here's why. And, and just like, sort of, well, what's, what's going on in this church and all this, we're just having this conversation. And so basically what, what, what was happening, what I tried to explain to them is that these, these Christians, like Paul had left this church, right? He's, he's doing other things and some other Christians had come to this church in Galatia, probably well-meaning Christians, and they visit this church, and, and the church at this point in Galatia, it, it's made up of both Jews and Gentiles, which is a miracle in itself, right? Jews and non-Jewish people gathering together, first time in history, right? And they'd all trusted Jesus, they'd all been changed by him, and that was enough. But these agitators show up, and, and they're, they're like, hey, guys, awesome. You're family now. Jew and Gentile together. Man, Jesus, he's great, isn't he? What a guy. We're here. We're together. It's awesome. But while, while we're here, can you just for a second, would you just go and grab me a knife? Well, uh, sure thing, new brother. Um, I can get you a knife. But why? Oh, um, man, Paul didn't tell you? He must, he must have totally just forgotten. Like, if you want to be a Christian, just a small thing, it's no big deal, but like, if you really want to follow Jesus, first we have to cut off part of your penis. This is my dinner conversation. Um, <laughs> it was outstanding. It was, a great, it was a great moment. You should see the look on their faces. Actually, in the first service, there was a kid, uh, a, a young boy, who said, what? <laughs> <laughs> yeah! Like, I'm not, I'm not trying to be crass by saying that. Like, I want us to feel it. Imagine, like, we hear that. Like, that's, that seems weird. Imagine what it's like for them. You want to do what? Right? I mean, to follow Jesus. Like, that's, just, I mean, at that point, I mean, how many of them are like, uh, you know what? We're going to find some other Messiah, right? <laughs> no way. This is the rule that they've turned to. This is the new thing that they're added. This is their new good news. That if you want to follow Jesus, first you've got to become Jewish, which means circumcision and a whole host of other rules. You want to do what to me? And Paul is like, why would you do that? 
Like, what, what, are you, what are you thinking? Like, like, how could you think that was a good idea that you would take? Isn't, isn't Jesus enough? I mean, that's, that's what Paul is for six chapters in this letter over and over. It's like, isn't Jesus enough? Hasn't he done it for you? And nowhere, nowhere in, in the New Testament we see Paul as angry as he is right here. I mean, if, you've, if you're familiar with Paul, if you've read any of his letters, I mean, he gets a little bit, you know, he's, he's a pretty serious, pretty intense, pretty passionate dude. Nowhere is he more angry than here. Because it might feel like a small thing. But when you add to the good news, when you say that Jesus isn't quite enough, you exchange good news for really bad advice. So Paul, I mean, he's like, I mean, as he goes on in this chapter, he's like, you guys have read the Old Testament, right? Like, it it doesn't work. Like the whole thing is about our failure to keep the rules. The law can save no one, but Jesus has come. What are you thinking? And the reality is we do the same thing today. I mean, not the snip, snip part. But like how, how much time do we spend looking for advice? When what we need most is news, good news, the best news. I mean, how much time? Think about that. Like, and I'm not, I'm not down on advice, okay, right? I, I read the occasional self-help book. I want to talk to my friends and people who are wiser and older than me to get wisdom for, for life. I mean, absolutely, we want advice. I can respect Oprah, okay? Look under your chair. You get advice, and you get advice, and you get advice, right? It's my best Oprah. <laughs> I should have known. First service didn't think it was funny either. But we love advice, right? Anybody who can tell us a better way or something to do, right? Something to achieve, something to to accomplish. But even the best advice, even if it's golden, it's still not good news. Because advice and rules always demands that you have to do it. And so it always comes down to try harder. Just be your best you, right? Self-actualize, follow your heart, find the good life, achieve it, go discover your own meaning, all of that, right? I mean, the pressure is crushing us. Advice is something to do. That hasn't happened yet. It's up to you, right? You gotta, you gotta do that. News, though, news has already happened. You can't do anything about news. Just respond to it. An old preacher, for example, Martin Lloyd-Jones, he kind of described the difference between advice and news uh, like this. He sort, of, he sort of painted a picture of, of, of imagine like an ancient army in the ancient world going out to battle and losing. They just lost. And so in that context, they'd send messengers back to the village to prepare the people like, hey, we, we lost. And they'd give them advice. Well, you can either stay here and fight for your life or you can run like mad. That's what you can do. That's, that's advice, right? You have, you have options, which if you think about it, is what every other religion or worldview does. You figure out how to save yourself or find your own meeting or make your own way. You do it, and good luck. God bless. But it's all up to you, right? But if the army won, they wouldn't come with advice. They'd come with news. The victory's ours, Celebrate, rejoice, and live in this freedom that has been purchased for you. Which is our story, isn't it? 
Jesus has done it for us. There is nothing left for us to add. Nothing left for us to do except trust him. And Paul continues, oh man. When you start adding to Jesus, not only do you trade good news, the best news, news of hope and life and joy, you trade that for bad advice. Not only do you that, you exchange God's word to you for man's opinion of you. That's kind of the next thing here. And Paul, he's adamant here as he kind of explains what's going on. He's like, I didn't make this stuff up, okay? Like, as he's writing, like, this isn't, this isn't Paul's religion. This stuff came from Jesus. And, and so he's saying, do you, do you want what Jesus says about you? Or what every other human says about you? Which do you want? And so verse 11, he says, For I would have you know, brothers and sisters, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did, I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. And then he goes on, he kind of describes some of his history. You know, 15 years ago, when I still hated Jesus, he's, he's talking about, like, I was the most religious person on the planet. Angry and violent. But verse 15. But when he who had set me apart before I was born, who called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone. And it's a little bit confusing what Paul is getting at there, but what he's saying is like, we didn't, we didn't sit around, like all the apostles, we didn't like hang out and like invent this stuff. Like what, what should this thing about Jesus be? Like what should we believe? Well, no, let's not, let's not do that. Let's do this. Like we didn't, we didn't have a committee. That, that's what he's, he's getting at. And said that years later though, he says, when I hung out with Peter, you've heard of Peter, right? And when I hung out with James, that's Jesus's brother, by the way. I mean, Paul's doing a little bit of name dropping here. Like when we all finally got together, we were all preaching the same simple message because we got it from Jesus. And he rose from the dead. Like top that. I mean, the reality is if Jesus didn't come back to life, this whole thing is just a, just a terrible joke, Right? I mean, if that's the case, like every other religion then, we'd, it'd be based solely on the, on the opinions of humans. If they'd found the body, we would all just go home. But if the tomb was empty, I mean, it would mean that every word Jesus ever spoke has infinite value in it. And Jesus says to us, I'm enough. Trust me. And you can be saved, loved, accepted, whole. That, that's what God says about you through Christ. But instead, these folks in Galatia, they're consumed with what all these self-righteous, knife-wielding religious yahoos have to say about them. Isn't that crazy? Jesus says, I'm good enough for you. Everyone else says, you'll never be good enough unless. You'll never be good enough until. And who do they listen to? Like they're doing it. They're, they're following these new rules. And same as us, right? 
Everything around us screams condemnation. Everywhere we turn, the voice of you're, you're not enough, you don't measure up, it's all over the place. It's why we hate social media so much, right? I mean, we're addicted to it, but nobody likes it, right? It's like an infinite number of voices, pictures, reminding us that we don't measure up. Everyone's happier, more successful, more interesting than I am. And so we fake it, see how many likes we get. Hey, yeah, maybe that's not you, right? You don't, you don't care about that stuff. That's fine. I get it. But it's why you can't stop working. It's, it's why you have to compare yourself to all the other parents, right, to make sure you measure up. It's why, it's why at school you compare yourself with your, your classmates or on the team with, with all the other people that are there. We're always comparing. And maybe it's not even the external voices around you. The loudest one for me is, the, is, is mine, right? Do you have that voice? Nathan, you're just not quite good enough. Almost. Work harder. Do better. Try harder. You're just not quite enough. Maybe circumcision will help. Or one more rule, or one more achievement, or accomplishment, or a little more wealth, or one more conquest. And these voices are so loud, they're actually willing to do a little surgery to quiet them. Who are you going to listen to? What God says about you? Chosen, beautiful, safe, loved, or what everybody else says. Everybody else's voice comes with conditions. I don't care who you are. Just start doing blank, and then we'll be good, right? And when we, when we listen to those voices, we, we become slaves. That's, that's the third thing that just makes Paul so mad. You exchange freedom for slavery when you try to add to Jesus, when you try to tweak the gospel, when you try to improve this good news. You, change, you trade freedom for slavery. And so at, at the start of chapter 2, Again, Paul, this first section, is, he's kind of telling his own, his own story. He describes a time uh, in Jerusalem when he's traveling with this guy named Titus as, as, a, as another missionary. Titus is a Christian, but Titus wasn't circumcised, right? And, and Paul's like, but it's okay. Like, no, no rock from heaven fell down and crushed us, right? It was, it was fine. And then in, in verse 4 and 5, though, about this same trip with Titus, he says, yet because of false brothers secretly brought in who slipped in to spy out our freedom, that we have in Christ Jesus, so that they might bring us into slavery. To them we did not yield in submission, even for a moment, so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. For when we add to Jesus, politics, rules, the American dream, however you define the good life, whatever you need in addition to him, when we add to him, the one who sets us free, like from our shame, from the burdens of others, our own endless desires, Jesus sets us free, but when we add to him, we just put the cuffs on, we just walk right back into it and become slaves again. Maybe not slaves to the law like them, right? Certainly different context for us, but how many of us feel like slaves to our upbringing? Slaves to our past, our peers, 
Slaves to our ambitions, addictions, desires, depression, or loneliness, our own, our own attempts to be good enough, we become slaves. I mean, for example, who seems freer than Madonna? You know Madonna, right? You remember her? It's not too old of a reference, right? She's getting up there. Uh, but like Madonna, I mean, she's like the icon of freedom, or at least she was at one point, right? And, and riches and fame and beauty and talent, like there's a person who, who's grasped freedom. But do you remember what she said some years back? She said, I have an iron will, and all of my will has always been to conquer some horrible feeling of inadequacy. I push past one spell of it and discover myself as a special human being. And then I get to another stage and think I'm mediocre and uninteresting again and again. My drive in life is from this horrible feeling of being mediocre. And that's always pushing me, pushing me. Because even though I've become somebody, I still have to prove I'm somebody. My struggle has never ended and it probably never will. Friends, this is the slavery we make for ourselves. And when I, when I slip back into that, of wanting just a little something else, or, or trying to, to build my own salvation on my own good works or achievements, right? Any, anything that I turn to, when, when we do that, I'm essentially telling Jesus, you know, Jesus, you're great, but I still want to date other people, right? Like, you're good, but I, I, just, I don't want to be exclusive with you. When what he offers us is freedom, and Paul, Paul will show us that it's not freedom to just do whatever we want, just to live however. Of course not. No, that's, that's not it at all. Paul, Paul's going to talk about that throughout this, this letter. It's freedom to live well, to love well, to be whole. It's the kind of freedom that you and I are desperate for. It's the kind that we, we wake up in the morning trying to seek and crave. Real freedom. Can't add to Jesus. And this last thing, it's the most tragic. I'm sure we don't, we don't want to trade good news for bad advice. That seems dumb, right? We don't want to listen to condemnation from others when we can hear acceptance from God himself. And why would we ever pick slavery again over freedom? But this last one, this last one's even worse. When we try to add to Jesus, we exchange him for an it. Him one who came for, for an it, a set of, of rules, like, like an, an attempt on our own to live better. I mean, don't, don't miss this. When you add to Jesus, whatever it is you think you need in order to be happy and good, and I, man, I do this all the time, whether it's Jesus plus the perfect family, Jesus plus the perfect career, Jesus plus sex or friends or rules or politics, Jesus plus anything. If he's not enough, I mean, it feels so minor. And yet, meanwhile, our souls shrivel and starve to death in the wilderness. It's not a small mistake. If we look back again at what Paul said, verse 6 of chapter 1, he said, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him. Not an idea or an ideology, not a religious set of rules or a system to be obeyed, but you're deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. 
You see, for Paul, this isn't, this isn't a debate between two religions or, or two worldviews or two philosophies. That's not, what it is. That's not what it is for him. It's between a system and a son. A system in which you're the one who always has to figure it out and make your own way and you better, you better do it. You've, the clock is ticking. It's between a system and a son and you and I, I don't, I don't care who you are, right? Whether, whether you're a Christian or not, uh, regardless of your background, your beliefs, all of us here, I am convinced, like the, old, the longer I live, I'm convinced, like we're all just, we're looking for the same thing. We want someone to tell us it's gonna be Okay. Whether it's that, that's the voice inside us or those around us, that, that, it's good, that I'm good enough, that I've achieved enough, that I'm loved and acceptable, that, that my life matters, that it counts for something, and we're looking for it everywhere. Meanwhile, Paul says, he's come looking for you. This, this one. Like he came from heaven to find you. He, he died on a brutal cross, and he rose again so that he could get you and have you forever. And to tell you how much he loves you, how, how good he can make you, to give us freedom and joy. And Paul says, people, that's, that's not a small mistake. He found you. Don't desert him now. Let's pray. God, I don't want to desert you. I don't want to, I don't want to trade you and the forgiveness, the release from shame, the hope, the life eternal that you offer to me for things that are so trivial. So God, I, I pray that we as a church, for all of us, God, for those, those here who, who believe these things and have believed them for a long time, for, for those, God, who maybe this is, this is new stuff, God, I pray that through your spirit you would reach in and show us that you are better and that you want each one of us. Lord, help us to give everything we are, all that we have to you, and to live fully and completely for you. And help us now, even in, even in these moments, to worship you, our rock, our redeemer, our savior, our hope. Amen. Amen. Uh, it is a, a joy to, to be with you all uh, this morning. Uh, my name is Reed Kappel. For those of you who don't know me, I serve as the campus pastor here. And uh, if you're new, guests, we're, we're glad you're here. We'd love to meet you uh, at our welcome table out in the lobby. Please stop by. But, um, but as we heard this morning, you know, this, this message, this gospel message, it, in some sense it's a simple message, and yet it is no less the message by which we are to live and measure our entire lives by. You know, the, the gospel is not this pill that we take and then move on and we're good, but, but rather this message, this truth is a banquet table that we come back to day after day for sustenance and celebration, which is why we're excited to continue on through the book of Galatians as we kind of turn the diamond of the gospel, so to speak, and see its brilliance and the beauty of the different facets of this truth. And so we'd encourage you as we continue on through the series, if you're looking for a supplemental resource, uh, uh, Galatians for You by Tim Keller is a great, uh, phenomenal study guide to kind of go along with this book. And so if you're looking for that, we'd encourage you to get that. That's not life-size, so it's, uh, it's a little smaller. But I would encourage you to have that to, to be reading along in Galatians. Um, well, as, as we leave this place, you know, we are going to enter into tomorrow hearing a lot of different voices telling us what our worth, what our value, and our identity is rooted in. And my prayer is that we would hear these words as the truth that forms and shapes how we enter into tomorrow. So hear these words from the Apostle Paul in Galatians chapter 2 for our benediction. Brothers and sisters, you have been crucified with Christ. 
It is no longer you that lives, but Christ who lives in you. And the life that you now live in the flesh, you live by faith in the Son of God who loved you and gave himself for you. Amen. Go in the light of that truth. Have a great week.